You're listening to the CD Baby. CD Baby. CD Baby DIY Musician Podcast. Hey there, this is episode number 132 of the CD Baby DIY Musician Podcast. My name is Kevin Bruner. I'll be your host for the show. And before I dive into the intro for today's interview, I wanted to remind you that we love getting your comments and feedback. We use those to drive much of the discussion for our roundtable edition of the podcast, and that's where I'm joined by Chris and The Bolt to discuss news and the topics at hand for the day. So I wanted to be sure you knew all the ways you can connect with us. One of the best ways is in the comments section for each episode. Those are found at cdbabypodcast.com. You can also email us at podcast at cdbabypodcast.com or you can call our listener line at 360-524-2209. We love getting phone calls. Those are great. And uh, you can also connect with me directly on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at kbruner. So on to today's episode. Uh, We'll be talking to Mike King from the Berkeley Online School. Mike has held numerous positions in the music industry, but now finds himself running the Berkeley Online School. Mike writes course material and teaches classes, mostly geared around music marketing, which is something artists are always asking us about here at CD Baby. So I know you'll enjoy our conversation. Also, if you're not familiar with Berkeley Online, it's the online school from the famed Berkeley College of Music in Boston. You'll hear more about it in our conversation, so let's get to my interview with Mike. Well, joining me on the line is Mike King from the Berkeley Online School. Mike, how you doing? I'm great, Kevin. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to have you on the podcast. It's uh, It's been cool getting to know you over the past, I guess, like two years. We've been kind of connecting online and um, have joined in on a couple of your classes and um it's good to have you on our podcast so no thank you i'm I'm so happy to be here i'm such a fan of what um what you're doing uh, specifically but what cd baby is is doing kind of kind of globally um you guys have, have been wonderful to work with so i'm really happy to do this well excellent well why don't you start us off with some of your background in music marketing and how you got involved with berkeley and and just what you're doing there and then we can kind of launch into the conversation after that Sure, I could, I could make this intro um, really long, but I'm, I'm going to give an abbreviated version. So, um, you know, I, I am uh, a uh, a fair uh, musician, maybe not even fair. I play guitar and bass, but I'm more a music consumer, big time. You know, um, in college, I did some music writing. Um, I, you know, had had a good collection of music, and I wanted to um, figure out a way to make music part of my life. And I just didn't have the skills to go out there and play. So. The route I took was um, at a record label. Um, so right out of college, I worked at a, at a label that was in Massachusetts called Ryko Disc. Uh, it was in Salem, Massachusetts. It was this wonderful place um, where I did a variety of things. You know, so I started um, like I think uh, many people do in the industry as an unpaid intern. Uh, and I kind of worked my way around. I wouldn't say I worked my way up. Um, I started in the radio promotions department. Um, and Ryko Disc catalog was so amazing. Um, I was working right when I got there. 
uh, Modesky, Martin, and Woods' um, Shackman record, um, which was on Gramavision, right? Um, and it went to number one on the jazz chart for CMJ when I was there. So I had like an, an early win, but it was this, um, it, the music was right up my alley. Another artist I was, I was working on when I was there was Ali Farka Toure, um, this amazing um, uh, guitar player from, from Mali, from Timbuktu. Um, so I started uh, working in the radio uh, promo department, and then I moved into um, finance. You know, I sort of just looked for openings and, and took them. So I did a variety of things in the finance department at Disc. I was responsible for consignment reporting, you know, so that's Rikodisc distributed um, maybe at the time 20 or 25 labels, so I reported back to the labels on their sales. I did royalty accounting, um, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, what many people might think is, is kind of dry, but I absolutely loved it. I loved seeing how things worked from a finance um, side. And then, you know, Chris Blackwell bought Ryko Disc in 1999, um, and when he bought Ryko Disc, Ryko uh, sort of split a little bit, and, and the bulk of, of the label, at least the employees, moved to New York City. Um, so when I moved to New York, I um, started doing marketing, which is really where I wanted to be. Um, I did tour marketing uh, for a period of time, and I came back to Massachusetts, again, continuing to work at Rikodisc. It was a much smaller version of Rikodisc, and I was a product manager. And that was just a dream job. Uh, a product manager at a label is basically the, the quarterback, you know, so somebody that would be given a finished master. And sometimes the master wasn't even finished, you know. I would, I would have to master, you know, um, some recordings. But I would be, you know, given a recording and work with all of the key areas within the label uh, to put a plan together and be the, the main point of contact between the label and the manager and, and sometimes the artists. And it was just an incredible education to be working very closely with the retail department, you know, the online department, the press department, the distribution company. Um, so it was, it was really wonderful, um, you know, but, uh, you know, all, all good things come to an end. Uh, and and Ryko, uh there's actually one employee that still is sort of involved with Ryko from, from when I was working there um, in the 90s and the early 2000s, but it um, more or less kind of disappeared. It's a sub-label of, of uh, Warner right now, Ryko Disc is. Um, I don't know how many employees are, are still there, but I basically left in 2003 uh, I worked at Rounder for a period of time doing publishing administration um, for the publishing company called Happy Valley, um, and I had some interesting experiences working with Studio One, which is a Jamaican label um, run by uh, a guy named Sir Coxone Dodd, and there were very unusual um, publishing uh, kind of issues that I, I, was, I was looking into for a short period of time. And then I came to Berkeley um, in, in, in mid-2003, right at the start of Berkeley's online school. Um, so I've, I've been uh, involved in online education since 2003 in, in a couple of different ways. Um, I wrote um, four of the online uh, music courses for, for Berkeley. Um, you know, they're, they're focused on music marketing and music business. Um, I wrote one book for Berkeley Press, um, and I, I now run the sales and marketing for Berkeley College of Music's online school. So that's kind of my background in a nutshell, um, I suppose. Well, so you've been uh, in quite a few different departments around the music business and have seen a lot of different things for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And, and the hands-on um, experience was uh, just, you know, really invaluable um, 
to be the the role of the product manager is just such a critical gig, you know. Um, and at, at Ryko, when I was doing that, um, there was some degree of um, uh, flexibility. I was involved in bringing some artists to the label that ended up getting signed. Um, uh, one band is called The Slip, um, you know, in the late '90s, and I worked with um, was kind of a, a little bit of a um, I don't know if I want to say hippie, but um, I, I knew the people that, um, you know, Fish Management, and we signed Pork Tornado, which was John Fishman, the drummer of Fish's band, and I brought those guys to Ryko. So it was just um, it was a really great time, I suppose, um, and the gig specifically allowed me just to get a, a real kind of wealth of experience about how things worked. So I guess what's, to me, it's kind of interesting hearing your experience and just the the era of the industry you came up in and yeah. uh, it, I'm a, I can only imagine and well, I, I, I can guess that the way you think about marketing has changed quite a bit since those days in with the change of the industry. Is that a correct assumption? It is a correct assumption. It's not only the way that I think about it, but the, the, the tools that exist and the way that, um, and, and I suppose what is possible now, um, it wasn't possible back then. You know, the, the major shift um, from a marketing standpoint is that marketing was somewhat um, reactive and not super data-driven um, back in the day. So really what we would do is um, uh, there, there are various things you could look at, um, various ways to measure how you were doing. You know, if you hired a radio promo indie, you'd get, you know, weekly reports or daily updates, you know, that sort of thing on, on what station was playing a record, how often they were playing it, that, that sort of thing. But the, the main um, sort of uh, uh, tool we used to determine how we were doing was SoundScan, you know. So that, that tool still exists. Uh, but back in the day, it was one weekly meeting on Tuesday, I believe, is when the SoundScan reports came out. And, you know, the, the marketing staff would sit around, we'd look at SoundScan, and we'd say, oh, look at this spike, um, you know, in Denver. You know, we should connect with Twist and Shout and see what else we could do at that retail location, you know. But it was very reactive, um, and it was difficult to test, you know. So the, the main changes now are the tools are different, you know, um, uh, that can allow you to test, to allow you to look at things um, and then pretty much the whole, the whole landscape has, has adjusted in terms of um, being proactive, you know, as opposed to being reactive um, uh, w- with what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with in the marketing world that you definitely now have the tools that can connect and uh, help you kind of, you know, use data better and almost in real time these days. Um, sure. So I assume that a lot of people coming or a good portion of the people coming to uh, your classes at Berkeley are artists uh, that are wanting to learn more about marketing. Some that probably want to get into the business to work at a company and and some that probably want to learn how to better market their music. What are some of the the, the key issues that you would say a lot of these people coming to your classes are facing and, and kind of trying to figure out in their minds? Yeah, um, and you're right. There's there's a, a cross section of people that are taking the courses. There are definitely um, musicians in there um, that are trying to figure out how, how to make it. You know, um, how to uh, generate visibility um, for themselves and how to sell you know their music. Um, and then there are people that want to work in the industry. Um, and and those aren't two. It's not kind of an either or thing. It's sort of like you know 
you have to learn both of those skills if you want to do either of those things, you know. So mm-hmm. the, the biggest issues, and, and this is something that we talk about quite a bit, um, you know, people come into the class and they they want to sell, you know, or, or oftentimes, okay, how do I how do I make money doing this, you know? And to me, um, something I talk about in the class too is um, that's sort of the um, in many ways the the last thing you should be focused on, right? It should be, and this goes without saying, but I'm going to say it now. You have to have good product. You have to be able to write good songs, and and it, you know, if you can play out live, that's you know very positive too. If if you're not performing out. Um, it makes things a little bit more difficult, you know. So many things, you know, kick, get kickstarted from from touring. Um, so th- those those are the you know. Uh, before you do anything, you have to have those things together. Um, but it's uh, you know, for me, it's it's more focused on how do you make people aware of what you're doing, you know. So I have kind of this, these four horsemen that I, I think you kind of have to focus on. It's awareness, acquisition, engagement, and then monetization, right? So. Um, you know, once you've got great product, you can play and all that. Um, the, there, there's a pro and a con to the all of these tools that are out there to help people. There's more competition than there ever has been. You know, so marketing is more important. And you know, finding um, ways to make people even aware of you that's that's very that's very difficult. You know, and once people are aware of you, how do you um, get a permission-based contact happening? You know, this is something I talk about in in all the courses a lot because it's so fundamental. Um, you know, and this is you know back in the day when I was at Ryko, it was about um, almost like a, a, the the it might be called like a shotgun approach to marketing. Just making you know uh, radio as an example, you kind of don't know who's hearing. There's some measurements, but but it's difficult, and it's a one-time hit, and then you, you've got nothing else. With acquisition, if you if you can obtain some permission-based contact, where then you control that relationship moving forward, you know, and probably the best example of that is an email address. Still to this day, 2014 email, um, you know that that's really important. And then once you are um, engaging properly, um, you know, then it's it's uh, uh, time to think about monetization. Once you've had a community, you, you've built up a community, you're talking to them properly, you have this relationship, then think about monetization. So that's sort of like. Oftentimes, people come in right away. How do I, you know, how do I generate revenue? And that's again one of the last things I think you should be thinking about. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that uh, that you know everybody wants to make money from their music, but oftentimes artists get a little ahead of themselves. And you know, any other business type transaction, you're going to spend time developing the product, kind of figuring out a story and all this kind of stuff, then kind of launch out into. Uh, you know, building an audience and then ultimately trying to to find the sales. So, um, yeah. I mean, and you probably have some detail on this. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but <laughs> I forget what number um, tracks are in iTunes that have never been listened to. And I think somebody built a program actually that uh, is designed to, or an app that goes on Spotify and only plays songs that have been listened zero times, you know? So, I mean, there's, and it's a super high percentage of, of songs that have never been listened to. So these are folks that um, aren't, aren't focused on that awareness part yet. They, they focus solely on the monetization before maybe they were ready. Yeah, that, that app, I, I, I want to throw out that it was like something like 75% or something. It was something pretty big that attracts on Spotify that, that uh, hadn't had a stream yet, and somebody did build an app for it. But yeah, but but yeah. So when when an artist is you know finishing up with their product, what in your mind is one of the first things they should start doing as they sort of transition out of 
music creation mode into now I need to get this out to the world? What are some of the, the, the first steps they should be taking? Right. Um, so I, I, there's a, um, I have kind of a, um, a linear graph in um, one of my classes that, that outlines um, what, what can be called a serial serialized approach to releasing content, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, there's, I think you should be focused on acquisition all the time. You know, the the biggest artists in in the world should still be focused on acquisition. But I I really like the idea of if you've got something recorded, I think you can utilize free, right, to to help you with that awareness part. Um, You can generate all sorts of derivatives of your content even before release, you know? So, um... I might bounce around a little bit here with this answer, but that's okay. Um, I, I, you know, I'm I'm friendly with the folks that run Pledge Music, and I really like that idea of, you know, and even taking it back before what you said. So uh, engaging your fans even before the product is there, right? Even before you've got something um, finalized for sale, you know. So what Pledge Music does is it allows you um, to communicate with fans throughout the whole recording process you know and you're engaging and you you can you know give your fans something special so that can happen you know with with pledge music and it can happen without pledge music parts of that you know where um, you know if you've got that community you're looking at your content you're creating things you're kind of floating things out there and going back to data and analysis you can even um, utilize some widgets to test out singles and maybe you know you're you're recording stuff and somebody that does this really well I think is Anton Newcomb from uh, the Brian Jonestown massacre he's putting out things on YouTube all the time and I don't know what his thought process is behind it but you know, <laughs> he's a character I can tell you that <laughs> oh so yeah I mean he's a complete character and I listened to his I mean we could do a whole podcast about what he's doing I listened to dead TV this this little program that that he does you know but anyways he's he's putting out you know, it's clearly unfinished material, right? And he's floating it on YouTube where he has this community of people that are commenting, uh, folks are, you know, sharing uh, this stuff. So um, I, I, I love that idea of even before you've got something totally finished, kind of connecting with your community uh, to say, hey, what do you think? And, and maybe not explicitly saying, what do you think? But floating things out there and seeing what people freak out over, you know? And and I don't, again, I don't know what Anton was thinking, and I'd, I'd love to talk with him someday, but, you know, the, the record that came out after, you know, his last record, you know, it led with the song that I think was um, the one that was most... Um, highly received, right? So uh, on YouTube, right? So did he use that data to determine what the sequencing would be on the record? Um, maybe, you know, um, if, if I was him or working with him, that's exactly what I would do. So sorry, like I said, it's kind of a roundabout answer, but I think there's a lot that can be done even before you've got a totally finished thing to engage and to, to generate information for you to help you move forward. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when you're looking at some of these tools out there i know that um artists sometimes feel inundated with with tools that help them market their music um from whether it's facebook twitter or whatever there seems like there's always something new uh popping up um that people are being told hey you should use this great new tool to market what what do you think are some key tools that that they should start with or if there's one thing that they need to do what is it Sure. Um, so 
One thing I would recommend, um, and, and you're exactly right, there are things popping up all the time. Um, and the, the difficulty, and what, what I try to do is, is be a, you know, and this, is, this term is getting overused, and I'm sorry, um, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> I try to be a curator. <laughs> you know, that, that term is totally uh, overused, um, especially now with streaming and all that. But, but it, it's, it's accurate, right? So um, I, the first thing I would suggest people do is try to find some people that you think are good curators that can help guide the way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there's so many um, outlets out there that you can use to kind of um, separate um, the bad from the good and, and get, get a bit more clarity on, on what really you should be paying attention to. So there, um, there's something I refer to in my class. Um, you know, so I try to be a curator and I stay on top of things and I get a bunch of information, you know, um, and I can talk about some of the stuff that, that I use. Um, Actually, I will right now. Uh, you know, I like that guy um, Ari's take, and he he actually did a very fair assessment of CD Baby Pro and TuneCore, uh, their publishing option. You know, so um, and he did it. He went through and he talked to people. I think he talked to you. You know, he did. Um, so I, I try to um, find curators first. Um, so I, I use, um, you know, Music Alley, um, Ally is another one that, that I subscribe to and everyone gets the left sets report and there, you know, there's all of these, these folks out, I think Glenn Peoples is excellent, you know, uh, billboard.biz and, um, I have, uh, a, a column set up in Twitter that is only dedicated to people that I have deemed curators and that's the stuff that I pay attention to, you know? So mm-hmm. before even talking about what tools, to use because I think it's different depending on, on where you're at in your career, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's finding the right people that are speaking to you, you know, that are that are um, that 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 you can look to to help guide you, you know. Um, so I, I have um, let's see here. I've created a list on my Twitter of people. This is for a course that I taught in Northeastern. And I said, you know, you know, I, I've actually kind of dropped off on Twitter. I have to get back on it. But there are people that are very active that are very good, you know. So that's the first thing. And then um, in terms of other tools, um, I do think it's valuable uh, to look at um, two different things. Um, I think that there are good um, self-service options out there to help you uh, do things online. And, and that's kind of a wonky way of saying it, but I'm paying attention to companies um, like StageBlock. I'm, ta- I'm paying attention to companies like Noise Trade. Um, you know, I'm looking at um, uh, sites that help you like Section 101. That's a, a website company. And I have no, you know, I don't work for any of these companies, so I'm not endorsing them. I'm not doing buzz marketing right now, but these are really companies that are interesting to me, you know, that I think are in it for the right reasons. Bandcamp. Um, you know, I, I, I have the luxury of working at Berkeley and, uh, sometimes people would, would take my calls, you know? So I, I've met like, um, the, you know, Ethan Diamond runs Bandcamp, um, Jay Sider runs Bandpage. These are excellent people that like, um, Ethan Diamond is just a great person that's in it for the right reasons, you know? So that, that's something that's important to me is, you know, uh, connecting with these companies that the people that are running these companies, um, are, are solid people that are really in it to help uh, forward musicians' careers because that, that's why I do it. I love talking about this stuff. And, like, there's no better feeling to help a musician, like, you know, move forward, right? Um, so uh, anyhow, it's, there's a number of different companies that I think are doing great things. 
uh, but it's like it's kind of too many to list right now, you know. But I, I guess what I've said off the top of my head right there are folks that I, I would recommend uh, other folks look into. I know you're a big uh, advocate of of uh, artists sending all their fans, uh, directing their fans, and using their to their website, their their main band or artist website, and using that as the hub of their marketing. Do you think that's one place where artists are are not doing or taking advantage of the opportunity that they that they have there with their fans? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I, I am an advocate of that, um, and I've gotten into debates with folks um, that work at companies that no longer exist that suggested, um, I'll just send them to Facebook. Your fans are on Facebook. That's all you want to do. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you own the relationship with your fans, number one. You own the, the experience with your, your fans if you're sending them to your own site. You don't. We saw what happened when Facebook changed the way that they operated into um, uh, timeline, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I, I think some of the opportunity um, relates to organic SEO, too, um, you know, with, with your site. And, and Bandpage is, is um, kind of an out-of-the-box service, but they, have, um, they were built in a way that it's very optimized for SEO. So I like what they're doing a lot. But there are so many, um, there's a lot of opportunity, I suppose, with organic search. And um, I, I've done this myself. And again, it sounds like I'm doing buzz marketing. I don't mean to. But like I wrote this book, Music Marketing Book. Um, and if you Google Music Marketing Book, my book comes up usually number one, right? So there, there's something around that. There are different things that I've done there to, to help with that response and different um, – and you, you can get very in-depth. There's a guy named Matt Cutts who works at C-U-T-T-S, who works at Google. That he, He's kind of like the oracle of organic SEO. I would suggest people follow Matt Cutts. But that's something um, – number one, yeah, definitely having your own uh, web presence – Looking at um, tools that you can uh, use on your website, understanding analytics around uh, your website, and then understanding how organic search works so that if somebody is searching for you or something like you, you uh, return high in, in the search results. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that uh, I know artists, it, it can be, it, SEO is like a whole, it's a whole podcast of its own. Yeah, it is. For, <laughs> A whole series of podcasts. In fact, there are some. If you're interested, you can go go listen to. But yeah, it's one of those things that artists don't realize that you know when you control your your own website, when you put content in one place, it actually helps people find you, and also yeah. it, it makes it easier for them to 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 get your music. I, I mean, honestly, I get frustrated I, when I went to South by Southwest this year. There were some bands that I was going to check out, some that were on a label, and I went to their website, and there was literally no information, not even about any of their tour dates, anything. And it was basically just a link to iTunes, which, you know, if I, that's all I was looking for, that, that's fine. But then yeah. they were sending me to Facebook for tour dates, and then I'm digging around on Facebook trying to find it, and I finally like, know. forget about it. I don't care anymore. I think how hard it was for you to even um, become a, a fan. Like, So they got you with the awareness part. You're aware of them, right? Um, but where in, in what you're describing right now, where they failed is is acquisition, and there's a whole... Uh, you know, you could do a whole podcast on um, IA, information architecture, you know, like how you organize your site, you know, and, uh, you know, depending on what stage you're at within like an album release cycle, that's a, a wonky way to put it. But like, you know, if you've got a record coming up soon, you want to put that information front and center. If you're focused on touring, you want your tour dates front and center, that it should be like a living, working thing, you know. Um, so, yeah, totally. There's I'm trying to think right now there. um 
I used to use um, this example. There's a band on a label called Thrill Jockey, um, and it's not coming to me right now. Um, their website, uh, when I taught at Northeastern, I'd bring this band's website up and just say, this, this is like what not to do, you know, like no navigation, uh, trying to be cutesy. I think the URL had nothing to do with the band, you know, um, no SEO to speak of. Um, there, there's some horrible, horrible things out there. So, um, and there's tons of resources. Like I'm going to go back and check out your podcast on organic SEO just to check that out. I think, um, you know, Banzoogle, uh, they do um, website demolition stuff. Um, David Dufresne, th- th- those guys do some really neat things. So, yeah, uh, going back to what I would suggest in terms of tools and, and best practices, definitely the, the web stuff should be high on the list. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with uh, you, we're talking about some of the, the fan engagement. Is there any things or techniques uh, or the, the acquisition, I, I should say, that, that uh, you've been – uh, talking about in your classes or things that you have uh, your eye on as interesting ways artists or record companies or anyone who's trying to engage and, and build fans have been doing lately? Yeah, that, it, that's it's an interesting question. Um, and it's, that's, it's a hard question because everything is so specific to an individual band, right? So what works with one band um, isn't necessarily going to work with the other uh, because the demographic and psychographic is different, you know? Um, so overall, I'm more impressed um, when I see a band that's um, doing, like, best practices in a certain vertical, um, you know? So uh, there is, um, oh, man, I'm, I'm spacing on band re- names right now. But um, there's there's a, it's at the tip of my tongue and I can't remember, um, email marketing. That's something that bands can do very poorly or very well. And there was is a band um, that I can't recall. Maybe I'll remember it. But um, somebody that I hired to to teach this course that I wrote on on Topspin software um, was involved in this band, and we were having a conversation about email marketing. And he said, "Yeah, their open rate is over a hundred percent." And I said, "Well, how is that even possible? How do you get?" More- <laughs> yeah? He's already told me it's over a hundred percent. And he said it's because of um, shares, right? Um, and and still, it sounds a little funny to me. But he says. Um, you know, the email goes out to X number of people, and the subject line and content is consistently so good that people are sharing this thing like crazy. And then, um, again, it's a little bit of a funny way to look at it, um, but I'm impressed by that. Um, so bands that have have figured out exactly what works with their own community in a way that the community is is sharing on their behalf. You know, um, there's there's an idea. Um, by this guy named Clay Shirky called um, uh, participatory culture, you know? So um, there, and there are many examples of participatory culture, but if you can put a foundation together that is um, something upon which your fans can build and start spread, spreading the word, you know, like this is an older example, but something I really love that involves um, creative commons there. Um, there was a band that was on network called Chaos, K-O-S, and I loved this from an engagement um, standpoint where before his record was even out, he released some stems for, for, for one of the songs um, out to his fans and said, all right, guys, this is, um, you know, I forget which uh, flavor of Creative Commons license he, he gave it, but he said, you know, remix this, you know, pass it around, and there was a contest related to it, um, and I forget how he measured um, who got the most interest in this, in their remix, but the end result was 
the best remix, the one that got shared the most or whatever it was, got added onto the record that wasn't even out yet. I hope I'm making sense with this, right? So stems from an unreleased record put out there. Uh, the, the fan created remix got onto a record without the fan even hearing the original, you know? Um, like, I love that. I mean, that, that what an amazing way to engage your fans first off, but then use that idea of participatory culture for them to kind of help you market, you know? That, that sort of thing is, 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 is what impresses me. Do you find that uh, artists are sometimes scared of marketing or, or trying to build that kind of engagement? And, and the, I guess I'm coming from the angle of, uh, you know, here at, you know, both of us work in marketing. So uh, what a lot of people who don't work in marketing may not know is that we fail a lot and we then go, huh, well, that didn't work. Well, let's change yeah. this and try it again. Oh, that did work. And now we are getting better responses from our email. I find like a lot of artists tend to like send out an email and maybe get a so-so response and just go, well, I guess nobody likes me. <laughs> and not yeah. understand that it, you're using a communication platform that it takes time and effort to kind of tweak and test things. That, that's it, you know. So I think there's a couple of things. Um, you know, I, I teach this course called um, Music Business Trends and Strategies, and the lesson on marketing was last night, you know. So it's a, you know, I had an hour-long chat about marketing last night, and, and some of the folks that were in the chat we're saying, you know, number one, wow, I didn't really realize all of this. And number two, how do you find the time to do all of this? That, that's, you know, that, that's the major thing, I think, is because you're right. Um, I'm testing all the time, you know, and with what we're doing um, at Berkeley, I mean, it's, it's very in-depth, in as I'm sure it is for CD Baby, you know. So um, we have nurture campaigns. We use a marketing automation software, you know. I mean, we're, we um, have a CRM, you know, and... Um, I'm going to go on a tangent again for a second, but like one thing that I thought was so interesting about the last South by Southwest, um, and I don't know if you saw Lady Gaga's keynote. Were you there? I did not see it, but I did watch it online later. Um, so she said, and I don't know who caught this, um, but I tweeted it. Um, she uses Salesforce. Lady Gaga uses Salesforce, right? So she's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm up to date with all. And Salesforce is this heavy duty um, customer relationship management software, CRM, you know? Uh, and I'm like, whoa. And, and from what I could tell, like, she uses it. Like, she goes into Salesforce to, like, you know, split up her lists and communicate with people um, effectively. So, um, I mean, going, going back to, like, you know, folks being scared, I think it's less about that. I think it's daunting, you know? It's like there is, there is so much to do um, that in, in many ways, it depends on, again, where you're at in your career. But when you're at a certain point, um, you have to have some people to help you with this. It's just un, unrealistic. You'll drown, you know, if you try to do everything possible. There's tons of best practices, but if you're responsible for writing, booking your own shows, um, you, you, know, um, you know, recording, producing, all of that, there comes a point where you, you hit a wall, I think, you know. So uh, marketing is one thing that, um, again, once – when you're starting off, like you're doing it all, right? But once you reach a certain point, you, you, it makes a lot of sense to even elevate one of your fans. Hey, do you want to handle uh, my web, you know, or something like that? I just um, and and the person that was talking last night about this being daunting. It's you're exactly right. Like I kind of laid everything out. Like, here's you know best practices. You know, this guy got 105 percent open rate. You know, but like really, like can one person do all of this? And it's a good question. It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've we've got to wrap up soon. So uh, I, I was wondering if you had any final p 
pieces of advice that uh, you might want to want to leave us with, and then you can tell us about uh, how artists can find out more about uh, what you guys are doing over there at Berkeley and the cool classes you guys offer and all that. Oh, thanks for that, and thanks so much for um, having me on here. I I, I love this topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I enjoy talking with you, and I, I've been a fan of your 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 podcast for some time. So I'm I'm really happy to be to be part of Thank it. Thank you. Yeah, um, you know it's it's really. Um, Jeez, I mean, the, the sort of thing that I, I want to say is uh, the stuff that, that has helped me to uh, continue on, right? So when I reflect back on um, how, how I've gone through the industry and done different things, it's being tenacious, you know, and it's looking for opportunities. Um, and, you know, there's stuff that I didn't mention that um, I've done, nothing horrible. Um, but, you know, it's uh, <laughs> sometimes, you know, when I was an unpaid intern at Rikodisc, the, the truth is half of the time, um, I was working at a mutual fund company called Zurich uh, as a as a registered representative. That was my real job right out of school, right? So part-time was doing that. Part-time was, um, you know, doing what I loved, right? Um, so maybe maybe that would be my advice is it's um, – and I, I've said this before. Uh, 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 there's a philosopher who masquerades as a cartoonist named Hugh McLeod, and he's got this theory called the sex and cash theory, Right. Where, um, you know, when you're starting off, you're doing things for cash and, and in your spare time, you're, you're doing the stuff you really love. And best case scenario is all of your time at some point morphs into doing what you love all the time. But it's a long road and it's a, it's a hard road and you, you're going to hit, uh, you know, walls and everything. But um, like I said, when I reflect back, it's I, I tried to um, see an opportunity and some sunlight and a path and, and make my way towards that path for my own particular goal, you know, and everybody's goal is different. Not everybody's goal is to be international, you know, pop superstar, right? So I really had my, my sights set on, I want to work in the industry and I want to learn as much as possible and this is how I'm going to do it, you know, and, and try to find those opportunities. I think the very same thing that, that, that process could, could, be, um, could be similar for artists, you know. Uh, so I don't want to say, don't give up, stay with it, but I do. That, that really yeah. is it. You know, I mean, if you feel passionate about what you're doing and you're on this earth to do this thing, find a way. You might be doing other things alongside of it, um, but uh, yeah, you know, find a way. Well, I agree. I, th- I think that's, that's good advice because I think a lot of artists, um, especially now what we see in the media, seems like everyone that becomes big is an overnight success. They were on American Idol for six months. Now they're selling platinum records. Yeah. Right? All right. And this, this idea that there was no uh, long road that got them there. And, um, you know, a lot of the artists that we see popping up here that, oh, they're an overnight sensation. They're like, yeah, it was a nine-year overnight <laughs> sensation. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, I saw that firsthand with um, this band called Carmen, where I was working. Um, Amy Heideman is, is um, in Carmen, the duo. She, you know, she's the, obviously the female singer. And she worked with me at, at, yeah, at Berkeley, and she was a Berkeley student here. And I would, you know, lightly consult with her, you know, um, for a really long time. But the, the word on the street is, they did one cover on YouTube of a Chris Brown video. It got you know forty million views, and they got signed by L.A. Reid to Sony. That's not really it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they are true musicians. That I mean, they went to Berkeley. They you know spent years, and they had a very focused approach to how they wanted to break um, based on uh, the work of this amazing manager. You know, they're working with a guy. Um, 
named uh, Niels, um, uh, Nils Gum, sorry, uh, and he's excellent, right? But they, they, it was years, right? But like, it's funny you say that because I hear that all the time too. Like, oh, it's an overnight cessation just happened. It, it's never like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I do like what you what you mentioned and kind of alluding to the idea of having an in, an intentional path, something that you know you're shooting for. And I think that's a lot of times where artists kind of lose uh, or, or kind of lose hope in ever being able to do something with their music is because they when they think about it, they don't even know what they're shooting for. It's just like, well, I want success or whatever. But I think it's when you have more of an intentional path, you can see those opportunities pop up and go that's going to help me get to where I want to go and I'm going that direction. So, That's well put. That's true. And I think education is important too and understanding the landscape. Which brings us to <laughs> how can we find out about Berkeley? Yeah. <laughs> I truly do, but you're doing it too right now. Yeah, what you're yeah. doing right now is CDB. This is education and this is, this is it. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, how you guys do offer some, some really cool classes there and uh, how can people find out about what you're doing and and you might also want to uh explain the difference between the berkeley online school and berkeley college of music because there was a while i didn't even really know there was a difference but you might want to highlight the difference between those two yeah so i'm i'm you know that's my job is to make people aware of, of the of the difference or the fact that we exist so um berkeley college of music has existed um here in the back bay of boston since the mid 40s you know so um, the college has been around um, forever. Very progressive, amazing people have went to Berkeley. Um, in 2002, uh, you know, uh, Gary Burton and uh, Lee Burke, the president at the time, um, decided that they wanted to get an online school happening, um, and and they did. I mean, it was a very forward-thinking idea um, to think. You know, if you think back to 2002, there there were no online music schools. You know. Um, so, uh, you know, we exist to um, bring Berkeley faculty, Berkeley curriculum to people that can't come to the Back Bay, um, you know, and the experiences are, are different. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing here in Boston, in the Back Bay. Berkeley has amazing uh, facilities. There are, uh, there are things that happen on campus uh, that can't happen online. There's an amazing new building that's here um, that has just stated the art like the best studios in the country, you know, um, are going to open, uh, you know, later on this year. So amazing things. The online school, um, you know, bringing Berkeley faculty, Berkeley curriculum to everybody. Um, we, we have courses, um, 12-week online courses. Uh, for credit and non-credit courses available. We've got multi-course certificate programs. Uh, so you could study, you know, uh, you could become an absolute expert in Pro Tools as an example and study with Berkeley for several years. And we, we just launched um, online Bachelor uh, of Professional Studies degrees in, uh, in music business and music production. And those are going to start in, uh, in September. So you can get an online degree from Berkeley College uh, of Music in those two areas. It's a Bachelor of P- Professional Studies degree. So that's um, something we're all very, very excited about, um, you know, and I'm, I'm very involved in that in a couple of different ways. You know, some of the courses that I, I wrote and that I teach are going to be part of 
the business track, you know, of the Bachelor of Professional Studies. Um, and then very, getting very specifically, um, I, I, I wrote a, a course called Online Music Marketing, um, and it has a bunch of words after that, but it's Online Music Marketing, um, Campaign Strategies, Digital Distribution, and Social Media. I think that's the name of the course. Um, music Business Trends and Strategies is one that I wrote, which is sort of like a all-encompassing, you know, we talk about copyright, we talk about publishing, we talk about fan funding. Um, and then I wrote a course called Music Marketing 101. So um, I've, I, I work with some amazing instructors to teach some of the courses that I wrote, people that are doing fantastic things in the industry. Um, I have people like you come in as special guests um, who are experts in, in, their, uh, in their field. So it's something that, and I said this earlier, um, maybe I didn't, but I meant to. Um, I feel so lucky to have the opportunity um, and it's really an honor to be able to, to meet with people weekly, you know, and we have these hour-long chats where I'm on video and audio and screen sharing and everything and just going through exactly what's going on right now and kind of what I was saying earlier, finding the paths for individuals, you know. It's something that, that I love and I'm enthusiastic about. So um, I feel very lucky to have the opportunity uh, to talk to people literally around the world. People are taking, you know, I had somebody from Kenya um, in, in my last course, um, uh, you know, that, that in the last term. But it's, it's an amazing opportunity. I love teaching it. Um, there's a good community that grows um, online as well. So, um, I'm, I'm, I, again, I feel pretty lucky to be part of it. And when, when do the courses typically start? Because they are like more like a traditional course. They do have uh, specific yeah. start times, correct? That's right. We have four terms, uh, we have four terms a year. Um, the next is uh, beginning of July. And then um, the, the term that starts with the online degree programs is in September. That's, uh, that's the end of September. So four terms a year. Um, after that, it's uh, beginning of January um, and then beginning of April. Um, so yeah, they, like I said, the courses are 12 weeks long, so um, that we build in a couple of, of weeks kind of vaca- vacation time, you know, in between terms. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, I've been doing it since 2007. I can't believe how time goes by so quickly. Wow. Um, yeah, but it's, it's like second nature, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I've been teaching constantly for seven years. Wow. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast, Mike. We'll put a we'll put some links in on the the podcast show notes that that get people over if they want to check out more about the classes and uh, what you guys are doing over there at Berkeley. Lots of cool stuff, and um, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Thanks so much, Kevin. And and like I said, I really appreciate you having me on. And and we so respect and admire the work that that you're doing and the work that CD Baby is doing too. So thank you. Yep, you're welcome. Take care. Yep, take it easy, man. All right, you too. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Mike King for joining me on the podcast. If you'd like to find out more about what they're doing over at Berkeley Online, we'll have a link in the show notes. They have some great classes, and if you use our link, you'll get a 10% discount off the class fee. Uh, We've actually been sending some of the CD Baby crew to their classes to get some deeper training on topics like music publishing, so check those out. Again, if you want to weigh in, With comments or feedback, please do so. I mentioned all the ways you can contact us at the top of the show. And uh, that should do it for this episode. We'll catch you next time.